0: Get ready, get ready, strap yourself in, keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times, because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Uh, hi folks, this Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, welcome to the big show, we certainly appreciate it. Our family and friends, the Chris Voss Show family, the family that loves you, but doesn't judge you. At least not as harsh as your mother-in-law, as we like to say around here, but I'm sure she's a nice woman. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> I just like how that dropped off. I never dropped that off, but that just kind of dropped off there. Do you see what I did there with the comedy? I did. Um, yeah, I just gave it a hanging chat, if you will, as they call it in Florida. Uh, those of you who uh, grew up in the Bush era will recognize that reference. The, those of you who are Gen Z will have to Google it. Anyway, guys, thanks for uh, coming by the show. We an amazing gentleman on the show. He's going to be talking to us about his latest book called The Uncertainty Solution, How to Invest with Confidence in the Face of the Unknown. And What's really interesting about his book is he's got some behavioral science stuff in here, some technology and graphs mm. and data, as they like to call it, D-A-T-A. You can Google that as well, Gen Zers. Uh, he's, John M. Jennings is on the show with us today. Uh, he's got his new book out called uh, May 2nd. 2023 it just is going to be hitting the stores here soon so you're going to pre-order wherever fine books can can be sold in the meantime though uh, we have to extort you with plugs. So please go to YouTube.com, chess Chris Foss, Goodreads.com, chess Chris Foss, the big LinkedIn group of 130,000 people on LinkedIn, the big LinkedIn newsletter. Subscribe to all that stuff and and guilt and shame your friends to join as well. Remember, the Chris Foss Show is kind of like an MLM. You need to have five people. You've referred the show in your downline, but you don't really have to because that's a joke, people. Uh, his book is billed by Charles R. Schwab, if you haven't been living under a rock. The last uh, what 30 50 years how old mm-hmm. am I yeah, I remember when this st- I remember that whole Charles Schwab thing started uh, he uh, gave a plug to uh, John's book a must-have for anyone interested in developing habits that make them a more successful lifelong investor John M Jennings is on the show with us today and he is uh, the president and chief strategist of st. Louis's trust and family office a 15 15- billion billion dollars count them 15 billion that's a little bit more than 14 uh and uh they're a 15 billion dollar wealth management firm as an author and speaker he's a leading voice in the space of wealth management and leadership his book the uncertainty solution is an engaging dive into investing philosophy and best practices as well as an authoritative and uh accessible guide for anyone who feels inundated with financial news and data. He must have, of course, with uh, Charles R. Schwab. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show, John. How are you? Great. Thanks. I'm super excited to be here. There you go. Did we give you enough pump on the intro? Yeah, if, if anything, it's almost too much. <laughs> it's well, we we overserve here. We wow. overserve. It's good. good to overserve the customer from what uh, our ethics are. So uh, John, give us your com so people can find you on the interwebs. Yeah, it's easy. It's John M as in Michael
1: Jennings.com. John M Jennings.com. And there you'll find a bit about me, information about the book. But importantly, um, I have a, a a blog that I do sometimes once a week, sometimes three times a week, but it's called the interesting fact of the day. And you can uh, Click on it and decide if you like it and you'd like to subscribe. There you go. So uh, what motivated you want
0: to write this book?
1: Yeah, you know, I've, I've thought I've had a book in me for a while. And it's, it's really the my main motivation is to tell people I don't know, the, the, the truth about the wealth management industry. You know, I'll tell you, I've had a lot of people in the wealth management industry read the book and they agree with it. But it's it's not the sort of stuff you're going to get from your broker or your financial advisor. Like my editor, when we were working together, outlining the book and digging into it, she said, uh, she was, first of all, this book feels like you're telling us there's no Santa Claus. Oh, <laughs> wait, there's, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <There's> no Santa <laughs> so, Claus. Yes. Yeah, so, sorry about that. If you, if you, and anybody on the, you know, the listening, if you think there's a Santa Claus, uh, go ahead with that.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'm yeah. I'm pretty sure they don't allow children to listen and, to the show, but at least they saw the Easter Bunny. Exactly, Easter Bunny is alive and well, hopping around. Um, and, and she
1: said, uh, "You know, is this book going to be controversial? Are people in the investment industry going to get mad at you?" And I said, "No, you know, the at least the erudite ones, the, the well-read ones, will agree mm. with it. It's just in. In fact, I tell a story in there of going to lunch with a broker." And you know we, we were talking about investing in different things, and he just said, "He goes, wow, I wish we could invest like you do, but because you're a family office and you're providing all these services, you can do basically the right thing, whereas I have to spend all my time justifying my existence and selling." Uh-huh. So, so I, I really wanted to help people see through all the noise, and, and secondly. To you know we all deal with uncertainty you know are, are inundated with it, but especially in the financial markets it's in the economy it's 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 constant and to help people have less worry, less anxiety around uncertainty in finance and in the investment in in the investment world that that was really the motivation
0: there you go yeah. so uh you wrote the book, and I think what's interesting, and I pitched that at the beginning because I think it's unique, is the behavioral science sort of aspect. Do I have that correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's not you know straight up psychology as much as it is uh, really mental models. And mm. If you're not, if, if people aren't familiar with mental models, it was a concept pioneered by Charlie Munger who is Warren Buffett's business partner not as famous as Warren but um, he's known for his wisdom and in 1994 he gave a speech at USC's business school about how to be wise and make good decisions and he said you have to have mental models so these are models about how the world really works that are in your head and he said you need to have about 80 or 90 of them and you need to know which ones to pull out when right and so what I I you know love this concept and studied a lot about mental models uh, outside of investing. But then what I realized is what separates successful, you know, good investors from those that aren't as successful or more worried is that the successful ones have these mental models. Mm-hmm. So they create this this latticework of mental models. And when they experience uncertainty, they're able to, you know, maybe not get rid of uncertainty, but focus on what they do know is real and correct and make good decisions and practice good behavior. Because mm-hmm. successful investing is mostly about
0: behavior. Yeah, and, and you have markets that, you know, I mean, technically everyone's supposed to buy low, sell high. Yeah. That's a base, one, one of the formats. But, but you know, people will buy on when everyone's buying, mm-hmm. and they'll buy in, and then they'll sell when everyone's selling. And right. it seems like a lot of people that are smart, Warren Buffett and others, um, they, you know, they buy, they buy in times when they, they see the models changing yeah. and kind of go against the market.
1: Yeah, Warren Buffett famously said, "Be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful." And that is that's an example of a mental model uh, I mentioned in my book. It's not one of my, you know, main ones, but that's incredibly wise and you know it's you know it's true mm-hmm. and that it's wise because it's simple but it's not easy to do. There I mean, go. that's that's really, you know, good investing is simple but not easy.
0: <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, you're you're always predicting the market, and uh, it, it's it's kind of a form of gambling. Although it's it's really, you know, not a form of gambling. You you can have better odds in your favor if you if you play the market right and visualize some of the things you're talking about. Uh, my psychiatrist, as a side, uh, refers to me as a mental model but i think that's kind of a (laughs) negative term for that reason yeah so uh,
1: uh, my my psychiatrist therapist uh who's both he's hugs and drugs is pretty great he uh he gets a big shout out my acknowledgments without him i would not have written this book
0: (laughs) there you go there you go well uh, you know that's uh there's something to be said about those good drugs Uh, uh so, give us some tease outs. Uh, what are some examples of some, you? You've designed thirty-five mental models in the book. Yeah. Uh, give us some tease outs. Maybe of some of those that. Yeah,
1: uh, and have. I'll tell you. You know, the, there's a lot of it. What I think are important ones, but let me give you the one that I, I think is the most important. So, like, if you're a listener and you're like, "Okay, I'm not going to buy this book," and but you know, what can I take away from 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 listening to the show? It's it's this one. In it, it, the middle model is called the stock market is not the economy. And here, here's what I mean by this. Um, economic growth or what's going on in the stock market or uh, uh, in the economy, excuse me, has zero correlation to what the stock market is doing. So mm-hmm. going back to World War II, it's a, it's basically zero correlation. It's 0.03. It means that they're random. So the, the economy can be doing great and growing and the stock market can be down and the economy can be in recession and the stock market is up. Yeah. So it, it doesn't tell you what the stock market's going to do. In fact, it's the opposite. The stock market tells you, not perfectly, but somewhat predicts what's going to happen in the economy. And, you you know, as an investor, you'd prefer to have it flipped, right? Mm-hmm. If you said, hey, you know, I see that, you know, uh, this or that, you know, uh, unemployment's going up or our growth is going down. We may be entering a recession. You can't say, oh, well, now I should buy or sell stocks. Mm-hmm. Instead... It predicts what's going to happen in, in, in the economy, and let me give, give me a let me give you some examples of how this works. So back, remember the the financial crisis, oh eight oh mm-hmm. nine. The bottom was March 9th, two thousand and nine. We were down fifty seven percent from the high, and at that time period, the news was bad and was still getting worse. Like if you remember back, things things were horrible. Yeah. Like unemployment still was with you know the recession was still happening. Unemployment was still. Uh, growing it didn't peak for 6 months later we had a sovereign debt crisis over in europe we had the us treasuries downgraded in 2011 the news was horrible mm-hmm. yet the market bottomed and increased about 640% mm-hmm. from then until you know um end of 2022 and then during covid so the market in 2020 bottomed on march 23rd and at that point we had 1000 covid deaths mm-hmm. The NBA was still playing. <laughs> so it, so it was the NHL. You could still travel. And if someone on, on March 23rd, 2020 would have said, okay, I know this for certain. We're going to have all these COVID deaths and you know the uh, international travel is going to be shut down and sports leagues are going to be shut down and industries are going to be decimated and unemployment is going to jump to nearly 15%. And it's going to be just chaos. Mm-hmm. I think we all would be like, okay, I'm taking the money out of the market. But that was the bottom. It was up 70% from March 23rd to the end of the year. So the thing to take is the stock market moves in advance of what happens in the real world or the economy. And so the thing to take from this this mental model is when you feel uncertain about what's going on in the economy, you know, what's going to happen with inflation? What's Is the Fed going to continue to raise rates? Are they going to cut rates? Uh you know, what's going to happen um, with what's going on in Ukraine or anything else politically that's going to affect, you know, are there going to be tax increases? Even if you had a crystal ball and you knew those economic things, it's not going to tell you what is going to happen in the stock market. And a lot of you'd go, well, that's horrible. I want to know what's going to happen. But it's better to know the reality of it wouldn't help me even if I knew. And then what you do is you invest as if you don't know because you don't. And you 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 invest in a disciplined long term uh, way without trying to worry about what's going on day to day or it's going to happen next month or next year.
0: And I think a, a lot of successful models for that, you know, Warren Buffett and stuff. I mean, people yeah. invest for long term, right? I mean, over uh, time, technically,
1: stocks are supposed to go up. Absolutely, but, yeah. but I, I hope like that mental model frees people to say, I don't need to know what's happening or what's going to happen in order to invest. Yeah. I'm just going to invest. I'm just going to keep buying or I'm going to just stay in the market. I'm not going to tinker, I'm not going to touch things, I'm not going to try to outguess anything and I'm just going to let it play out and have a long-term perspective and if you do that, you will be successful than uh, more successful than probably 80 plus percent of investors.
0: Yeah. Cuz you never lose until you sell or the company files bankruptcy. <laughs> 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 so there's always that. But yeah. no, the long-term aspect of it, and I love the graphs in the book. Like you've got a thing in here in that particular chapter on the, the stock market is not the economy. I believe chapter three, uh, the, 500, uh, the S&P 500 index, uh, the stock market returns and GDP growth. I thought that was a very interesting yeah. uh, graphical model in here. And then the positive stock market returns based on negative G- Gb- GDP. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, it, you know, that's something a lot of people don't really understand. Like, they'll, I'll, I'll be like, my friends will be like, Hey, I'm buying Tesla because it's like going up. And I'm like, You understand that it's probably priced into the market already. So you're, you're joining a train that's running that may be at the end of its tracks. Yeah. And for some people, they kind of found that out uh, recently, I guess, and a few other stocks for that Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, that's a great point, you know, on, on buying a stock. Let's just look at Tesla, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I mentioned, I mentioned in my book, you know, the exact you know tesla point in in one of the the chapters of you know i remember years ago uh where i was thinking about buying tesla Mm. and it was i don't know like less than a hundred dollars a share and uh i didn't and and then it was up you know like a you know a thousand percent or whatever it was and I, i looked back and thought wow i really should have bought tesla and i didn't and you know i think um you know at the time you know the the model 3 which was going to be the company savior and then was you know had production problems and it was delayed and they were talking about you know that it was going to be sold for scraps or apple might buy it and it, it you know that elon musk's uh, vision was fanciful and you know i think it behooves us to all remember you know when we look back like what did you actually know at the time and then when you're at that time you, you got to ask yourself you know do i know something that isn't widely known that is correct. And the chances are with like a 99% certainty, you, you don't, you know, with a publicly traded stock. I mean, the information about that stock is going to be widely known. And, and like you said, absolutely, Chris, is priced into the stock. So if, if you buy or if you sell based on what you think you know, you know, you're likely just going to be lucky or unlucky <laughs> in the future. It's not that you actually know something that the other buyers or sellers of the stock don't already know.
0: Yeah. I come from the old school of of uh, of uh, investing. Uh, I I trained to be a stockbroker uh, just right before Black Monday. Black oh, Monday, yeah, Black yeah. yeah yeah. that didn't work out so good at moving into the field um but you know i used to get the big thick uh things mailed to you with all the stock charts and stuff from those days and uh i i made some pretty good money doing dot-com trading and i knew how to get out of the at the top of it and did i made my mom like about four or five six times or something in aol nice yeah and uh and, and so, what about PE ratios? Do you address that in their book? Because I came from that world that I was yeah, sitting up yeah, where nothing over fifteen was, yeah, good yeah, 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 and gold was never supposed to go over eight hundred. So, yeah, uh, that's a good
1: point. Um, yeah, yeah, price to earnings ratio. So that that tells you how relatively cheap or expensive the market is or individual stock. Mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting when when you you know Vanguard did this this great study, looking at stock market returns going back to 1926, like 1926 to 2012. And they looked at rolling one year periods and rolling 10 year periods. And they said, for each period, we wanna see what things predict, basically, what's the stock market's gonna do. It's not quite prediction, but it's, it's something called R squared. It's uh, how, how much one variable relates to another, but you can think of it as prediction. And they looked at a, a wide range of things. And, and what they found is the what's most predictive of the stock market um, as a whole, they looked at the S and P 500, and it's, it's it's somewhat true of uh, individual stocks. Is its price to earnings ratio a lower to price to earnings ratio translates into higher future returns over the next 10 years? Not over the next year. There was nothing. There was nothing predictive of what's going to happen next year. But price to earnings ratios were the most predictive of what of anything they looked at of what the stock market's going to do over the next 10 years. But it was only at about a point 0.4. In other words. The price-to-earnings ratios only explain about forty percent of the next ten years' return, and that oh, wow. was that was the best. So let me tell you what's less good than this 0.4. Mm-hmm. So there's there's things like looking at the, uh, you know, it was looking at uh, 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 debt to GDP. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot less predictive. It was looking at something that's called the Fed model, which is when uh, uh, the dividend yield on stocks is greater than treasuries. That was like a you know point one. They look at rainfall. Okay, this is a dummy variable. Rainfall, while it does have an economic effect, should have nothing to do with what the stock market does. (laughs) It was a near zero at 0.06. So it was only explaining about 6% of what the stock market was going to do over the next 10 years. But I'm going to tell you the things that were less predictive than rainfall. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Treasury yields. Really? Treasury yields. Everyone cites that crap. Earnings growth. Oh, wow. Trend GDP growth. Wow. And on and on. Like, almost everything you read about in the financial news was less predictive than rainfall.
0: I mean, even presidents are running around going, we're going to have three GDP this year, 3% growth. And, you know, they're always predicting their growth rate, which usually never never happens. Well,
1: economists and politicians and financial forecasters are horrendous at predicting the future so, now some experts i have an entire chapter called uh beware experts bearing predictions ah. some experts are fantastic at predicting the future so like a, a doctor if you have a certain um injury or disease or whatever they're going to be able to tell you not with certainty but in general here's how you're going to progress or not progress right yeah um, and, and there's other experts you know engineers and, and things that can tell you what's going to happen with things but the problem is is that The economy and the stock market and and political systems is all humans interacting with each other. Mm. And we all have our own brains and our own emotions, and we're all watching everybody watch everybody else. Mm. And if you think about it in terms of a stock, I mean, for every buyer, there's a seller, and every seller, there's a buyer. And each has about the same information or at least access to the same information. And so, if you're buying Tesla, there's somebody else going, Woohoo, I sold my Tesla, right?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and and they may know more than you do, right? And, well, they
0: know about that Twitter purchase that What's His Face bought. So, uh, yeah. Selling must- them.
1: yeah <laughs> well, isn't that the albatross around his neck these days? Yeah, wow. it is.
0: Yeah. But,
1: but, but you're right. PE ratios are by far the best thing to look at. But you can't really time the market. It just tells you, okay, ish, when PE ratios are high, Lower your expectations for the next ten years. When they're low, you can go. Oh, I have higher expectations, but it only—it's only about forty percent. Correct. There so, you go. It's amazing, but great point on price-to-earnings ratios.
0: It's funny you use the uh, albatross around his neck. I—I I wrote up a thing. Uh, oh, I think it was on my Facebook and LinkedIn about how Elon Musk was the was the rhyme of the ancient mirror.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs>
0: Um, one thing you talk about in your book that I thought was interesting was the wisdom hierarchy pyramid. Mm, yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about that? I thought it was really, yeah. So this was, this was
1: really important to me and kind of shifting in, you know, how I viewed my consumption of news and information. Um, you know, I used to think to be a, a good, um, uh, you know, investment, um, advisor, wealth manager that I needed to know basically everything, which <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you can't do. Sure, yeah. But I, I came across, um, you know, it was, a, it was a, 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 a really a great schematic and, and thought. And it's, it's by this organizational theorist that came out with this in 1989. And it, and it basically says that information can be broken into four different categories. At the very bottom, you have data.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And data is things like, let's use housing starts as an example. So if you just get this data on how, housing starts from like the Bureau of Labor Statistics, mm-hmm. you just, you have these housing starts. It's raw data. There's a ton of data in the world. It's not very useful. The next level up is information. So that's data that's organized. So if you take your housing starts and you or somebody else organizes it, let's say by single family versus multifamily and by zip code and, you know, houses that um, uh, cost less than a hundred grand, 500 grand million, you can start getting an idea on what areas of the country are doing, you know, how they're doing economically, and different wealth effects, and you you can start teasing out some some insight into the economy. The next up from information is knowledge. So knowledge is taking information from different areas and putting it together in a way that uh, makes sense. So you can take your housing start information that's now organized and put it together with unemployment claims and interest rates and inflation and, you know, uh, uh, GDP growth. And you can say, here's where we think we sort of are in terms of the economic cycle. Mm-hmm. And at the very top, and as you go up, each of these is more and more useful, but less and less plentiful. And at the very top is wisdom and wisdom is taking knowledge and knowing what to do with it. So, for example, if you have all that knowledge about different things going on in the economy, and you say, I think this is sort of where we are in the economic cycle, Mm -hmm. wisdom is knowing that you cannot time tops or bottoms of the economic cycle consistently or profitably. And knowing, again, the stock market is not the economy. Even if you knew that, it's not going to tell you exactly what the stock market is going to do. And that's the wisdom. And it's the the most rare, it's, um, and and again, you know something is wise when it's simple, but not necessarily easy.
0: There you go. You know, it's, uh, I like the models and the graphs and everything you have into it. Like I say, I used to be, you know, a big reader of graphs. I'm a big reader of data. And, you know it's i meet people that will make emotional decisions whether it was for you know buying real estate or investing in a stock you know uh i've had friends that you know they got caught up in the 2008 uh home crisis because they're like well i was uh, my barber told me i should buy some homes (laughs) up in bakersfield i'm like why would you buy four homes in bakersfield it's like four or five hours away from me if you've got to manage them as a landlord you know just it's stupid stuff i mean i came to vegas at the at the peak of it right before it was about to blow and we came to invest in vegas and i met with uh i was a real estate agent at the time and owned my mortgage company and and uh, i met with a few real estate agents that were here local and they showed me you know what had happened with, uh with 9-11 and and the inventory glut that had been created when everyone pulled their permits after 9-11 and uh how the inventory is finally catching up and i go and I, I said to him, "I said this thing's going to fucking blow." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah. that's going to blow. It's a bubble." And anybody in the in this, and like no one knew. Meanwhile, I'd go down to the block, and there'd be people, you know, around the block sleeping overnight to buy homes. Yeah. That you know, it was it was a crazy time. But people just making these emotional decisions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and you don't you don't want to miss out. You're like uh, FOMO, fear are missing out, and. Yeah. You know, there's there's this famous famous example back from the 1600s that maybe you heard of uh, the the Dutch tulip craze. So, oh yeah
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So it's a situation where for, for whatever reason, tulip bulbs, not like not the tulips themselves, but like the the bulb, they, they became incredibly valuable. Where you know you could you could buy and sell a tulip bulb for you know ten and then a hundred times like what the average laborer in you know Holland made in a year, and people you know, speculated and they took out loans and they bought all these bulbs. And the reason was, it was kind of the greater fool theory. They thought it was going to go up and up and up and up. <laughs> and then, um, you know, at some point, you know, people stopped buying and the bot the bottom fell out of it. And that, you know, there was widespread financial ruin and, you know, at, at every time something like this happens, we think we, we learn, you know, like after the dot com crash, we're like, Oh, we've learned. And after the financial crisis, we've learned, and, <laughs> and, and, but it's just, human it's, just human, it's human, it's human nature. You know, if we yeah. think, you know, and, and you can you can look at, you know, some of the you know, some of the, the meme stocks, you know, the things that, you know, that, that happened with, um, you know, like AMC and people doing stuff on on Robin some of these cryptocurrencies, you know, Dogecoin that is, you know, was put out there as a joke, you know, Elon tweets about it and it goes up 1000%. And, you know, it's you don't, if it doesn't have any financial substance to it, you're really just buying it because you think somebody else is going to buy it, you know, the NFT craze, which is, you know, you know, kind of uh, people lost their shirts on, and um, yeah, it's it's unbelievable.
0: There you go. Well, all the more reason to buy your book and learn data yeah. and approach it from a behavioral science, because when you understand human nature and human behavior, that makes all the difference. Fun fact: we uh, we were actually going to call the Chris Foss Show podcast the Greater Fool Theory. Oh, were you uh, really? That yeah. was our yeah, and we probably should have. Uh, looking back over the last fourteen. years. <laughs> uh, it would have described me, at least, for the thing. Yeah. But we decided to go with Chris Washo. Anything more you want to tease out, John, before we go?
1: Uh, yeah, let me, let me tell you one other thing. Um, let's talk about like, the, the power of being inactive. I'm going to tell you a really fun uh, example of this. So the, these academics somehow got a discount brokerage who's not named in the study to give them 10 years of data on 35,000 accounts. Wow! And what they wanted to do is see which gender invests better. And the study was called Boys Will Be Boys. And what they found is, is that the best investors were single females, Wow. followed by married women. So they were, the, the women were pulled down by their husbands, followed by married men. So they were pulled up by their wives. And then at the bottom was were single males. And the, the researchers were like, why is this the case? And what they found is both genders, regardless of marital status, were about equally as bad at... Uh, investing. So on average, every time they sold something and bought something else, they lost the money. Wow. Like w- what they sold, they should have kept instead of what they bought. Okay. So every trade, they lost money on average. Hmm. What they found was the reason why the single women were at the lead and the single dudes brought up the rear is because the single females traded 45% less. mm. So the more inactive you are, the better you do. And then Fidelity, a few years later, in an internal study, said, we want to see the characteristics of our highest performing accounts. And their top accounts were those that were belonged to dead people or were locked, usually because someone had a 401k plan, they had switched jobs and hadn't moved it. Mm-hmm. So it goes like this, dead people, single females, married females, uh, married men, single men. So always keep that in mind. Whenever you feel like doing something to your investment portfolio, go take a walk, have a drink, do a, whatever you're going to do. Don't touch your portfolio.
0: There you go. I mean, that really speaks to, you know, men are men are a little bit more risk uh, into risk. You know, we like risk. We are. Or- we're riskers, but women are a little bit more into security and I think more risk, risk adverse.
1: And, and, and what men, men are in the financial area, women have their own areas where they lead, but men in finances and in investments are more overconfident. Women are overconfident oh. too, but men are more overconfident when it comes to investing. And overconfidence is the mother of all behavioral biases when it comes mm. to investing.
0: You know why that is, don't you? No. It's cocaine. Uh, it <laughs> is is that from right? Wolf of Wall Street. I'm being funny. Yeah, or me. I was. You know, I to cocaine bear. The cocaine bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that who movie. Was, uh,
1: stuff else. Who when she wasn't, you know, tearing apart humans. She and it was a she. Sorry if I ruined it for anybody who's going to. Oh, see you
0: it. ruined the movie. Now. Yeah,
1: it's a she, but she was an amazing stock picker. That cocaine bear
0: yeah there you go note to self hire a firm to manage my money that's got dead people in it wait is that jp morgan yeah yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that's not a plug for jp morgan people um anyway uh, i'm sure they're i'm sure they're fine people over there but you know jp uh,
1: jp morgan is a great firm and a very
0: strong bank yeah you could do worse yeah and that's i mean it's uh you know but it's it's good you have these models human nature is an interesting thing behavior is an interesting thing uh i've been unfortunately studying it myself and in my actions and other people's Mm -hmm. actions for 55 years now so uh the more i learn about people the more i enjoy my dogs uh well john (laughs) it's been wonderful to have on the show thank you very much for coming on oh great thanks for having me this has been fun Thank you. Uh, and thanks, my audience, for tuning in. Order up the book wherever fine books are sold. And, John, real quick, let me get a .dot .com out of you so we can get your plug yeah. in there at the end. Yeah, great. It's .dot com. There you go. Uh, order up the book wherever fine books are sold. Uh, but stay away from those alleyway bookstores. They're kind of dangerous, man. You, I had to get a <laughs> shot after, after uh, stepping on a nail in on one. Anyway, uh, fine books are sold. The uncertainty solution: How to invest with confidence in the face of the unknown. I should. I should have had this sort of stuff for my first seven marriages. John M. Jennings, his <laughs> book is out May 2nd, 2023. Thanks for tuning oh, in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time. You are a riot, Chris. <laughs>